Welcome to 24-Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. Aim, good evening. Al, good evening. So I know you're going to like this topic, and it's another listener topic off the list. Oh my goodness, I love listener topics. So one other thing before we start on the topic is I messaged my friend from Cape Cod and I said, when we went to the Wax Museum in Boston, what was the figure that we were so creeped out that was so lifelike? Oh yeah, did she remember? So we're both pretty sure it was JFK, the president. Oh, what would have been weird if JFK was standing in a wax museum with you? Well, I didn't think like actual he was standing there, but maybe, I don't know, like an actor or something. I don't know. It was weird how lifelike he looked. So we've concluded that it was either him or Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm pretty sure it was JFK. Mm, I'm going to root for JFK. I just feel like that's a more like prestigious event. Yes. And would make more sense that it'd feel more lifelike. Because it's not somebody, actually scratch whatever I was going to say, I was say that I've ever met. I've never met Leonardo DiCaprio either. <laughs> I was also going to say Leonardo DiCaprio is alive. JFK is not. So Yeah. So I just wanted to follow up. I think that's who it was. On to tonight's topic. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Tiffany and Co. <laughs> that's a complete different side of the spectrum than wax museums, but I'm here for it. All right. So we're going to just jump right in. Tiffany & Co. was started by Charles Lewis Tiffany as a fancy goods and stationery store in New York City in 1837. I would just like to tell you that I feel like this embodies me as a human. I am fancy goods and stationery. Like, that should be my <laughs> tagline. So I am 100% behind this topic. I also just like Tiffany's. Like, I mean, you and I have had the very fortunate experience to be able to actually go to Tiffany's in New York, but... Uh, just that soundbite, I could live my whole life happily as a fancy good and stationary store. <laughs> it is. It's good. And it does describe you very well. Thank you. So Charles started the store with $1,000 that he borrowed from his father, and he started it with a school friend, John B. Young. The store specialized in bohemian glass, porcelain, cutlery, clocks, glassware, and jewelry. Hence, like, the Tiffany lamps? It wasn't just, mm, we'll get to those, but no, not at this time. That's in the future. Got it. I'm jumping ahead. I apologize. That's okay. It's okay. You don't know. You're learning because you're not the expert. Good thing you are. So it wasn't always just jewelry. And I know from time to time they do release different types of goods. But obviously in modern time, we associate Tiffany's with jewelry. Jewelry. Although I will say we have seen some pretty expensive like rattles and whatnot. I believe I do believe I have bought someone a Tiffany bookmark as a group gift one time. I don't know why you would need such a delightful bookmark, but it was honestly the coolest thing I've ever bought. So oh, I've been gifted a Tiffany pen. See, like you don't need it, but you want it. Oh, and you feel so bougie. You're so bougie. It was like the coolest gift I've ever got to give someone. Like, first of all, I didn't even wrap it. I just put the blue bag on the desk, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah, why would you ever do anything besides hand over the blue bag or the blue box? Thank you. Exactly. Anyway, anyway, go ahead. Carrying on. Charles would buy jewels from French aristocrats in the 1840s, 
And these would be the first appearances of major gemstones in the U.S. So we're not dealing in this kind of fine jewelry yet over here. Okay. And because of this, the press crowned him the King of Diamonds. Oh, my goodness. So I will just say, because I feel like it would be remiss if I did not, I hope that any of our listeners are also thinking about this new season of Bridgerton. Spoiler alert, there is a diamond that the queen names every year, which is like the fanciest, fairest lady of them all to be wed. And then secondly, the American guy tries to scam the British folk with fake jewels. So this is like the reverse and on the up and up, but I'm just saying. I don't know what any of that is, but okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You and I live in such different pop culture worlds. We do. Okay, go ahead. In 1887, Charles purchased nearly one-third of the French crown jewels at an auction in Paris. This caused a frenzy for royal jewels here in the U.S. and helped cement Charles' reputation as a purveyor of luxury goods. Interesting. This is also when he unveiled the Tiffany diamond, which is still one of the most important yellow diamonds in the world. And it is 128.45 carats. And that's in its cut form. It was bigger before it was cut. So they made it like a wearable diamond and it's still 128 carats. 128.54 carats. And just a fun fact for those who have not purchased diamonds or know much about diamonds, carrots is not a size, carrots is a weight. Mm -hmm. People are often confused on that. Yep. Okay, moving back to Charles. So Charles introduced the Tiffany setting in 1886, establishing the diamond engagement ring as a symbol of love. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the timeline of Tiffany. So prior to this, the diamond engagement ring was not commonplace? A lot of, well, and we'll talk about why the setting is different later. But yeah, he kind of is the one who established diamonds were the engagement ring. Dang. Okay. Yes. Charles passed away in his home at the age of 90 in 1902. At the time, Tiffany was worth more than $2 million. And Amy, I'm not going to make you guess how much that is in today's money. I will tell you. So that would be $67,234,651.16. And 16 cents. Thank you for not making me guess. I would have been nowhere close. And he had established Tiffany's as the most prominent jewelry company in North America. Which remains, I would argue, probably in the top, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think of jewelry companies, Tiffany, Cartier, Harry Winston. I'm very impressed you made it past Tiffany. So, yeah. I think it's, uh, there's another one I follow on Instagram just because I like their designs. I think it's like Miska or something, but I don't know how world renowned those would be. But all I could think of was Rolex, and that's watches. I'm sure they make stuff too. So just a little bit about his personal life, and then we're going to jump into the timeline of Tiffany and Co. Okay. He was married to John B. Young, so his friend that he started the store with, his sister, Harriet Olivia Avery Young. I was really rooting for him and John B. Young to be married. I thought. Sorry. Sorry, no. Anyway. His friend's sister. His sister's fine, too. Yeah, he's married to his friend's sister, Harriet. They had six children, Charles Lewis Tiffany Jr., Annie Olivia Tiffany Mitchell, Louis Comfort Tiffany, 
Louise Harriet Tiffany, Henry Charles Tiffany, and Burnett Young Tiffany. Dang, that's quite a family. Yes. Okay, so let's get into the Tiffany and Co. timeline. There's a lot of really fun things in here that I learned, so I'm excited for this. 1837, as I mentioned, the first Tiffany store opens in New York City. Sales on the first day were $4.98. Which was probably very impressive given the time period. In today's money, it'd be about $167.41. So not not bad. Not horrible, but not super over like, whoa. Then in 1845, Tiffany publishes The Blue Book which is the first direct mailing catalog in the U.S. and is still released annually. So think about the once-a-year, very fancy catalog you get from Tiffany. It's called The Blue Book. Ooh, honestly, I behind that, what a great idea. At the time, groundbreaking. It's still really fun to get. Yes. And The Blue Book is where the Tiffany blue color comes from. And I'll go into that a little bit more later, but that's what initially establishes the color. Wow. 1851, Tiffany is the first American company to institute the .925 sterling silver standard, which is later adopted by the U.S., so meaning 92% purity of the silver before there was not a standard set in the U.S. for purity of silver. That's impressive to establish essentially a national standard. Yes, and this is what they were doing in Europe at the time, which is... And so basically, Tiffany brought it over to the U.S. Okay. 1853, Charles unveils a nine-foot Atlas clock above the Tiffany store in New York City. The clock is still there today at the Fifth Avenue flagship store. And fun fact, is the oldest public clock in New York City. Wow. I didn't know that there was so much clock information out there. Yeah. So it's... A guy, Atlas, holding a clock, like, up on his shoulders over his head. Oh, so Atlas clock actually is representative of what it depicts. Yes. 1862, President Abraham Lincoln purchases a seed pearl necklace and earring set for his wife, which she wears to the inaugural ball. Oh, my goodness. That's so sweet. And kind of crazy to think about, like, your place in history then. Tiffany has so much history. Just wait as we continue to go through this list. It's crazy. And seed pearl, just to give everyone a visual, think tiny pearls all set together, like little seeds all set together Uh in like circles or rows. It was very pretty. You can see it on the Tiffany website. 1866, Tiffany introduces the Tiffany Timer, which is America's first stopwatch, which is silver. My go- I feel like all I keep saying is wow and oh my goodness, but I just would have never tied some of these things to Tiffany. Right? 1868, Tiffany and Co. start making gold fashion jewelry. So now we're bringing gold into the mix. Very on trend. 1878, Charles Lewis Tiffany purchases what is now known as the Tiffany Diamond, like I mentioned earlier. That's mm-hmm. the 128.54 carat yellow diamond which is still on display in the Fifth Avenue location in New York City. So the Fifth Avenue spot must be, well, you said it's their flagship store. So it's the tippity top. Yes. It's the one that's been around. It's the OG. Yes. Okay. 
1885, this is a real fun fact, Tiffany redesigns the Great Seal of the United States, which still appears on the dollar bill today. So if you have a dollar on your person, you are carrying a Tiffany design. Wow. Now I got to pick new words. Cool. (laughs) 1886, Charles Lewis Tiffany introduces the Tiffany setting. So this is what I mentioned earlier. So what's different about it? Prior to this, gems are set in a bezel setting, which means they're flat into the ring. I see. Okay. Tiffany designs and introduces the prongs that sit (gasps) on top of the band. So now your diamond or gemstone can catch the light and maximize the sparkle. Think of a round diamond, six prongs sitting on top of your band. That is the Tiffany setting that he designed. So you're telling me, I'm sure that the Tiffany setting is the six prongs holding a round diamond, but essentially he introduced prongs to the mix. Yes. He's the one who took the gem up out of the band and set it right there on top. Oh, my Lanta. I literally just, like, I'm looking at my ring right now. Imagine, just, that's, uh, I have lost I know. Words. I was doing the same thing earlier, just staring at my engagement ring, like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I guess every, a lot, I mean, I have a bezel set one, so I know what that looks like, too, but I feel like every other ring I own is prong-based, and now I feel like I want to go open my jewelry box, like, cheap rings, fancy rings, you know, yeah. hand-me-down rings. Anyway, anyway, okay. I honestly thought that the Tiffany setting was going to be the center stone with the two floaties on the side. Or, you know, like a, a collection of stones in a certain pattern, right. not like the entire structure of the ring market as we know it. Solitaire rings as we know it. Exactly. Sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because his whole thought was he wanted as little metal to be on the actual gemstone as possible. So that it could catch the light and you could see the beauty of the stone. I support it. Yes. 1902, Louis Comfort Tiffany, who is Charles Tiffany's son, becomes the company's first official design director. Louis was an influential figure in the Art Nouveau movement and is still a major inspiration for Tiffany designers today. And I'm going to tell you what Art Nouveau is, just so we're all on the same page. Art Nouveau is an ornamental style of art that flourished between about 1890 and 1910 throughout Europe and the United States. It is characterized by its use of long, sinuous, organic lines and was employed most often in architecture, interior design, jewelry, glass design, posters, and illustrations. So if you look at some of the patterns from this time, think very intricate leaves, nature, really detailed birds. It's kind of coming back, I think, in wallpaper. Very intricate designs. Maximalist rather than minimalist. If you Google Art Nouveau and you look at some of the images, you'll recognize what it is. Got it. He also, Amy, to your question earlier, introduced the Tiffany-style lamp. I kind of was was, going to guess that based on the Art Nouveau thing, so I'm glad it came full circle. Exactly, yeah. So a Tiffany lamp is a type of lamp with a cammed glass shade. So it was designed, like I said, by Lewis Comfort Tiffany in its originals. 
The glass in the lampshades is put together with a copper foil technique instead of a leaded technique. Tiffany lamps are considered a part of the Art Nouveau movement, so very good, Amy. Due to Tiffany's dominant influence in the style, the term Tiffany lamp, or Tiffany-style lamp, has often been used to refer to any stained leaded glass lamp, even those that were not made or designed by Louis Comfort Tiffany. Oh, I did not know that. I assumed that it was the brand name, but it's kind of Kleenex. They expanded to Kleenex level where they have now um, taken over all of those kinds of lamps and not just tissues. Yes. So there were some actually made by Tiffany. Got it. And then, but anything in that style is now commonly referred to as a Tiffany lamp, even if it's not an actual Tiffany lamp. So yes, it's a tissue Kleenex kind of scenario. I bet Antique Roadshow has so many of these conversations. Yes, I'm sure. All right. I'm going to jump ahead a bit in time to 1961. Tiffany makes its cinematic debut in the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. (gasps) Yay! I was hoping that was going to come up. It's a great movie. It was the first movie ever filmed in the flagship store. Since then, there have been two others filmed in the store. Can you name either of them? Sweet Home Alabama. Yes. No, I don't know the other one. Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, I literally just watched that. I'm so disappointed in myself. And I'm going to have a really fun fact about Breakfast at Tiffany's later, but it's for later. All right, onward in our timeline. 1967, Tiffany produces the NFL Vince Lombardi Super Bowl trophy for the first Super Bowl. Fun fact, it weighed seven pounds. Hot damn. Literally, I'm literally coming up with words to not say wow, but that's so impressive. (laughs) I told you, the history of Tiffany's is insane. 1969, the return to Tiffany design is introduced as a key ring. The original design included an actual serial number that was registered to the buyer. So if it was returned to the store, it could be given back to the owner. Oh, I can't. I can't. We, I, that is such an iconic piece. I understand not the originals, but when we were little, that was the style. The little bangle in the heart shape with the return to Tiffany stamp was all any girl. Those wanted. are literally the bracelets we got at the flagship store for my 16th they are. birthday. I don't think ours had the serial number, but that is no, so No, they don't do that crazy. anymore, but yeah. So the return to Tiffany design, that's when it was introduced. 1978, Tiffany's commissioned to create the NBA championship trophy. It is two feet tall and weighed 16 pounds. Oof. Yeah. Then jump way ahead. 2000, the Tiffany & Co. Foundation is established to support Tiffany's long-held commitment to conservation and the arts. The foundation has awarded, to date, according to the Tiffany website, $75 million in grants. Wow. Yes, they do a lot of philanthropy. That's great for them. I feel like they do a lot of stuff that you just don't hear about because it's so product-based, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. 2001, Tiffany works with Pantone to create the 1837 Blue in honor of the iconic Tiffany Blue Hue, which I will talk a little bit more about later. Mm -hmm. 2015, 
Tiffany appoints a chief sustainability officer and pledges net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. Okay. 2017, the Blue Box Cafe opens at the Fifth Avenue store so everyone can literally enjoy breakfast at Tiffany's. That's so sweet. I and it is my that. dream to go and have okay, breakfast there. Okay, great. I'm glad we're on the same page. Let's get that plan. Add it to the tour. 2019, Tiffany pledges to provide Providence information for every newly sourced diamond, which is a significant step for diamond transparency. I didn't dig in to any of the diamond controversies. I just like that they are making an effort to be very transparent about how they're sourcing their diamonds. It's a step for sure. All right, let's talk about one of the most iconic parts of Tiffany. Blue! The blue box. Yes! We all know I have an obsession with color, and this is the best branding ever. It is. The distinctive color is known as Tiffany Blue. It was selected by Charles for the cover of the first blue book, which I mentioned earlier. This color may have been selected because of the popularity of the turquoise gemstone at the time. So I guess at this time... Turquoise was very popular. Hmm. The popularity of the blue box rose when it was introduced with the Tiffany setting engagement ring. So, you know, they have the little ring boxes are also the blue. People would come into the store and ask to buy just the boxes. They didn't want to buy any jewelry or anything. They just wanted boxes. Would they do that? Charles refused and would uh-huh. only give a box with a purchase of a design. So a, one of smart. his jewelry pieces. And there was some quote, I, I guess I should have put it in here. I think it was, he made it to the New York Times or something. And he said, I don't charge for boxes. You get one free with, you know, every design purchase or something. It was really cute, but he was not going to sell just the boxes. Smart, smart. Tiffany Blue was trademarked in 1998, which seems really late to me. Really? I was, that's shocking. And then, like I mentioned, was also standardized by Pantone. Which that is the mecca of color. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. All right. Are you ready for my fun fact from Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yes. It's really fun. So because they were filming in the New York store, they had 40 armed guards that were at the store to make sure nobody took any blue boxes home with them. Oh, (laughs) I was going to say, oh, my goodness. Jeepers. That's so... That's so mind-blowing. Just to protect the box. I'm sure it was collective of the collection and stuff, but you don't want to sneak any of those boxes out. You can't have a box if you don't buy something. That's fair. It's fair. Which I just think is the cutest thing ever. I don't know why, but it just is. Because it's wholesome, and it's also very much, it's the experience, right? Tiffany has created this experience and this value, and the box is part of that. And this was not anything I read. This is me just throwing out ideas. But I also wonder if he didn't want people to come and buy a box and then put some other jewelry in it and try and pass it off as something that they had gotten oh, yeah. at his store. For sure. I That has to be it for sure. All right, let's okay. move on. Because I still have a page and a half I want to get through. Let's talk about some of the more popular Tiffany designers. Okay. So Elsa Peretti is our first one. She was born in Italy and pursued a degree in interior design. In 1969, she was an established fashion model in New York and Barcelona. She had also started to design her own jewelry. American fashion designer, 
I'm going to butcher this name and I'm sorry in advance. Giorgio di Sant'Angelo used a few pieces in one of his fashion shows and they were an instant success. Some of her more recognizable designs are the little bean, you know, the bean on the necklace. They still sell that. The open heart. Yes, which is they still one sell of the that. most popular. The bone cuffs. Think of like kind of the swishy big silver cuffs. Yep. Those are hers. From the pieces I described, if you know what I'm talking about, you can kind of picture her designs are very fluid. They have a lot of movement to them. Mm-hmm. Her collections for Tiffany go beyond jewelry. She's designed china, crystal, other silver home goods for them. And she frequently collaborated with designer Halston, who I did not look up. Okay. Sorry, Halston. <laughs> Next time. But yes, like you said, a lot of her designs and all from these all these designers, you can still get some of their designs are still being made or things inspired by their designs are still being made. Mm-hmm. So our next is Gene Schlumberger. He is renowned for his fantastical creations infused with wit and curiosity. So he did a lot of nature, a lot of animals. He would often use colored gemstones and would take inspiration from nature's wonders Ooh. and turn them into sculptural bejeweled designs. You should look up some of his stuff. It's beautiful. Sounds very fancy. He was the first jewelry designer to win the, I'm not sure if it's the Cody or the Cody American Fashion Critics Award in 1958. Wow. When Gene began at Tiffany and Company, he was the first one to mount the Tiffany diamond into a piece of jewelry. The 128 carat. Yeah. The big yellow Tiffany diamond. So he mounted it into a necklace. It's very, very cool. I would Google this one. It's a ribbon rosette. So it looks like a bunch of ribbons kind of crisscrossing all around each other. And then the diamond sits right, you know, on your chest in the middle. It makes me think of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with the Isadora diamond. Probably inspired by the Tiffany diamond. Yes. The diamond would later be reset into one of his most beloved creations called the bird on a rock brooch. So think big yellow diamond with a bejeweled bird just sitting on top of it. And this was after he passed. It was set like this for a retrospective exhibit that they did in Paris on him. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. All right. Our next designer is Paloma Picasso. She's the daughter of artist Pablo Picasso. We know him. Yeah. Her style embodies the art and culture movement of the 1980s in New York. Choosing her as a designer for Tiffany & Company was a very progressive choice at the time. She was originally invited to design a table setting for an exhibition they were doing in 1979, and within a year had an exclusive relationship to create a jewelry collection called Paloma's Graffiti. Mm. So she took her inspiration from the streets of New York and the graffiti and actually helped legitimize urban street art by crafting it into precious materials. Good for her. That's a whole movement in the art culture. Yes. So it's obviously still a signature collection today. Think the X's and O designs. I love those. Those are hers. The scripts. Those are hers. Like the kind of graffiti looking scripts are hers. She would also design a lot of the... Very bold, almost bezel set, very kind of, a lot of them are squared off 
bright, colorful gemstone rings set in gold. She also, the necklaces and bangle and bracelet that kind of look like ivy. Oh, yeah. That's hers. It's actually olive branches, though. It's not ivy. I do like the olive branch designs, though. Yes. And she's still designing today. That's awesome. Yes. All right. A few more things, and then we'll wrap this up. Let's talk about gemstones. Tiffany was responsible for popularizing and discovering many gemstones. In 1902, Tiffany unveiled Kuzanite, named after the legendary Tiffany gemologist George Coons, who discovered the purple-pink gem in California. That's crazy. Yeah. Tiffany also unearthed Morganite in Madagascar in 1910 and named it in honor of one of its most loyal customers, banking tycoon John Pierpont Morgan, also known as J.P. Morgan. Holy bananas. Everything. They touch everything. This is like Pinkertons, Al. They're just everywhere. And you have everywhere. No idea. So, yeah, so if you ever buy anything that's Morganite, it's named after J.P. Morgan. Interesting. <laughs> Discovered by Tiffany. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. These were followed by Tanzanite in 1967 and Savorit, if I'm saying that right, in 1974. Today, Tiffany's gemologists continue to travel to the remotest corners of the globe and source the most spectacular gemstones. I love it. How glamorous. Other than probably some of that's not that glamorous, but it'd be cool to have a gem named after you. Right? How insane. much jewelry do you think J.P. Morgan bought to get a stone named after him? Oh, I mean, he probably owns like one of everything. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Today, Tiffany has more than 300 stores and employs over 12,000 people across the globe. Since 2013, Francesca, I'm going to butcher her last name. I'm so sorry, Francesca. Amitharoff? has been at the creative helm and is the first female design director. She is credited with taking Tiffany in a fresh new direction while still retaining the essence of the iconic brand. Good job, Francesca. Yes. So there you go, Amy. That's probably everything you could ever want to know and more about how cool Tiffany & Co. is. That was a doozy of an episode. I am so glad you picked this topic. I was really not sure about it when we started. I was like, how much is there to know about Tiffany & Co.? So much. There's You're so right. much to know. Oh, yeah. They made some rings. They have diamonds. Woo. Well, and I was oh. thinking like, okay, jewelry and lamps. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> just all the little pieces of history that they touch were just insane to me. And I didn't even include everything. There's a whole huge timeline on the Tiffany website. So you can go check it out. But it was really fun. It was really fun. Thank you for sharing. Great expert, Allie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, do with that what you will. Thanks for letting us talk at you. If you have any comments, corrections, suggestions, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Instagram, our Facebook, and our website. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 